weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to African Andrew for the afternoon entertainment. It is Tuesday, November 21st, and you're listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Walsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, we will be revealing the first ever PFA Ireland Women's Premier Division Team of the Year, along with the Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year nominees. Rebecca Cray is in studio to reflect on the awards, and we'll be chatting to league winner Erin McLaughlin and cup winner Chloe Singleton. And we'll be sticking with soccer because Tony O'Donoghue is standing by at the Aviva Stadium ahead of what could be Stephen Kenny's final match in charge of the Republic of Ireland. We'll get the thoughts of Keith Tracy and Pat Fennan ahead of the match against New Zealand. And Mark Langdon has all the latest stories from across the Euro 2024 qualification campaign. As always, if you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552. Game on on 2FM. Well, Rebecca Cray is in studio. And Rebecca, I was going to say you're going to be keeping an eye on the Ireland under-21 match that is ongoing, but there is a, a goal has just gone in um, and it is 1-0 to the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and I believe it was scored by Killian Phillips, Ivorache, number six. So it is 1-0 in a sold-out Turner's Cross. 33 minutes gone in that one. Uh, but Rebecca, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm here, Shane. You're here. Rebecca, I just had Alan Colley on. He is still on the rampage. Nanto, Leeds regular, three senior caps for an Italian side, but he's in Cork City playing for the under-21s. Andrew Moran isn't. Andrew Mo- Alan Colley feels very strongly about this, Rebecca, in case you weren't. <laughs> Wouldn't uh, you like him? Would- <laughs> <laughs> Where do you fall in on the debate, Andrew Moran, in the senior squad? Would you be playing him in the 21s or at the experience? I think it's just one of those those things, you know. It's it's nice to get in in and around, you know, the the squad, get the get the experience of it. Mm. You know, obviously, I'm sure that the twenty ones would love to have him involved there, you know. Um, but look, it's one of those things. It's he's available to go up there and and maybe offer the the squad something. Absolutely, Rebecca, have him in Dublin. (laughs) 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 Right. Well, one man who was in uh, South Dublin at the Aviva Stadium on Lansdowne Road is Tony O'Donoghue ahead of what may be. Stephen Kenny's final game in charge of the Republic of Ireland men's national team. Tony, what is the atmosphere like at the moment? <laughs> um, well, Coldplay are playing, so there goes the atmosphere. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the sprinklers are on. I'm, I'm usually at this point coming into the show from the kind of commentary position, so I have a, a bird's eye view. Uh, but there was talk that Stephen Kenny might want to do the pre-match interview early today, so I'm near the tunnel. I'm in my kind of reporter position, and there's an opportunity for those... Um, uh, those water sprays to get near me as they have done many times in the past uh, but hopefully we'll avoid that and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a good evening's football but yeah uh, Stephen has been out with the team they've just arrived and they've had a look at the pitch pitch looks to be uh, from my worm's eye view in immaculate condition although as I was walking in uh, from the Lansdowne Road end of the ground you can see behind the goal to camera right as it were uh, that there's plenty of scorch marks where the uh, the flares were were sent onto the pitch by uh, by the fans at the FAI Cup final uh, so that'll take a little bit of um, of, of repair I suppose uh, and will Ireland's reputation in football at senior level take a bit of repair as well because you know it's been a very disappointing campaign uh, results wise and maybe even performance wise as well and, and that will probably signal the end of the, the Stephen Kenny tenure in charge of the Republic of Ireland uh, tonight could well be his last game uh, you know a cold night in November against uh, New Zealand 
you'd like to think we could end the international football year on a high uh, because it is the, the end of the season there won't be another game till March and it'll be a friendly and there won't be a meaningful game uh, for Ireland until next September and the next round of Nations League qualifiers so um, Stephen has been out on the pitch some of the players James McLean of course because a special night for him uh, his last night to bring on the put on the, the green shirt and he'll have done it uh, by the end of the evening 103 times so yeah there's a lot going on but I'm keeping an eye as well in Turner's Cross a lot going on there as well Killian Phillips uh, with the goal against the, the mighty Italians uh, Sinclair strong but a good assist in that one as well uh, so yeah uh, as the, the debate goes uh, I don't think Andrew Moran is going to start tonight and I do think that you're better off when you get an opportunity to play senior football, albeit a friendly, that you take it. Uh, otherwise, Evan Ferguson, Troy Parrott, uh, you know, could have been put back down to the 21s. Um, I think senior football, you know, despite what Didi Haman might say, uh, is, is the route to go. And uh, I hope we do see Andrew Moore at some stage this evening uh, make his debut for Ireland. And I hope that players of his calibre, skill level, and that's something different that we haven't had in midfield, will give us an opportunity in the future uh, to improve in our results and to get back among the big time and looking forward to European Championship finals where we'll be in them. Absolutely. Uh, the FBI were saying 41,000 tickets sold. Are, are we expecting a crowd of that number or is there a fear this might just be kind of the petering out, the campaign is over now? Uh, it is a Tuesday night. I mean, if you were to... Mm. Like, Turner's Cross is full, by the way. I mean, you know, in terms of ticket sales and in terms of numbers, it looks uh, looks great. Uh, and if you were uh, an Ireland supporter from Cork, for example, as I am, <laughs> uh, you know, bringing your kid up to Dublin on a Tuesday night out of school, um, you'd, would you do an overnight? Would you go back down? Uh, not the most attractive of opponents New Zealand in, in football terms. In rugby, they'd be, uh, they'd be Category A, wouldn't they? Mm. Um, so 41,000, the, the evidence around Lansdowne Road and the bars and balls bridge and whatever as I was walking down, not a huge amount yet, but it is early doors, as they say. Look, I would say we can expect still a very healthy crowd of, you know, maybe, you know, 25, 30,000 or, or even more. Uh, and for, as I say, a, a Tuesday friendly in November, uh, that's not bad. And I think, to be fair, there has been a connection between Stephen Kenny and this young Irish side and the supporters and, and that was probably one of the reasons that he did get a contract extension when, when there was an upturn in, in, in results albeit we didn't qualify uh, for the World Cup uh, and, and Stephen addresses this in his programme notes the manager's message uh, and I hate to over-dramatise it but of course it could be his last time penning a manager's message in a Republic of Ireland uh, programme and it's, it's very interesting he, he, he talked about when he was a teenager his dad decided to leave his regular job and security with it to become self-employed and at the back of our small house in Talla, he says, he built a large shed where he cooked hams and cooked bacon to supply shops around Dublin. That soon became too small, so he bought a butcher's in Ballyfermot and he worked from there. And ultimately, with new increased regulations from the EU, that building was too small as well. And he had to get himself to a large industrial unit. So why was he saying all this he's talking about vision and ambition and how important it is and how important to have clarity of uh, of thought and then he says it's difficult to undertake a radical rebuild without setbacks and that's that's his view that's that's how he will see the last three and a half years as he said yesterday it wasn't inexcusable as Didi Haman said that Andrew Moran uh, wasn't left with the under-21s what was inexcusable was the eight years of, of, of neglect where you know no footballer 
kind of came through to the senior team. There was this huge gap. And now he says there's a clear pathway for players. A new generation of young players have been afforded opportunities to develop and grow into experienced internationals. And this will serve Irish football well over the course of the next decade. So strong stuff from Stephen Kenny. His, his programme notes when he was manager at Dundalk in particular uh, were wide-ranging. They were always interesting. And he is a very interesting and intelligent man. Um, and that reads, though, like a man who is taking stock of his time in charge of the Republic of Ireland, probably knowing uh, that he won't do, do it again, at least for the foreseeable future. Absolutely, Stephen Kenny in reflective mood. Tony, I'll let you go and prepare for uh, Stephen Kenny, an interview for uh, RT Television. Of course, uh, Ireland and New Zealand is on RT2, and there's live commentary on RT Radio uh, 1 Extra. Uh, we are going to be announcing the PFA Ireland Women's Awards in 30 seconds' time, so stick with us here in Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. 2FM. Now, this is the first year that there are awards for the PFA Ireland Women's Premier Division because it is, of course, the first year that league changed to professional status. So we are going to be revealing the team of the year and indeed the nominees for the player of the year and young player of the year, uh, which will be revealed at the PFA Ireland Awards ceremony on December 2nd. So let us dive straight into it. Uh, Rebecca Cray is here to give us her thoughts uh, but starting with the PFA Ireland Women's Premier Division team of the season it is in a 4-3-3 formation so starting with the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper goes to Neve Reed burke of P-Mount United and it is a back four from right to left it is Jess Gargan of Shamrock Rovers Jessica Hennessy of Shamrock Rovers Jetta Beryl of P-Mount United and Leah O'Leary of Shamrock Rovers so the midfield is going left to right as well. Sive Doyle from P-Mount United, Karen Duggan from P-Mount United and Alex Kavanagh. Shells get in on the act. And up, up who's up front, front Ruby? Erin McLaughlin on the left, again P-Mount United and in the Athlone town pair, Maddie Gibson and Dana Sheriff. So that is your one two eleven. Rebecca Cray, what stands out for you? From that PFA Ireland Women's Premier Division should be team a four four two, shouldn't it? Should be four. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah, Erin McLaughlin's centre mid. Although it's she, a, a, a player of many talents. I was going to say utility player, I suppose <laughs> as well. But yeah, no, like Erin, I'm sure you could put her anywhere in the park and she'll do a job for you. You know, obviously, I think ideally she should be in that attacking midfielder role. Um, you know, I'm sure she could be a central, you know, like, like or right right side or left side mm. of, of the top three. Uh, looking at that one, look. Um, great team overall obviously you know a lot of them have been been superb um, tr- across the season Eve Reed Burke is a long serving you know um, previously obviously Women's National League now League of Ireland Women's uh, mm. Premier Division player so many so many uh, accolades have come her way over over that time as well um, Leo Wright, or Leo O'Leary I suppose has, has come on a lot I, I think since her departure from Shells um, since going to Rovers I've just seen her excel every game I've watched her play she's been super confident in, in going forward you know really really tidy in defence as well um, obviously Karen Duggan you know she's there's, there's not much you can say about Karen everything every, I think everything is, uh, has been said she's been phenomenal um, you know really consistent um, amazing player obviously a lovely lovely girl as well and Sive Doyle as well look obviously they're, they're all part of that, that league win, uh, winning side um, one that I'm kind of not you know I suppose I, I, I would have likened to see in theirs and you might call me biased is, is Maggie Pierce of of Shelburne, um, she's just been 
a revelation. You know, she's been mm. so consistent every game that she's played in. Now, th- this is voted by by, by the players' I peers. Know, I know. Voted by players. That's why I'm, I'm kind of I'm questioning it, but uh, now look, come here. So I can call you out on your bias. Yeah. <laughs> but look, look, you can't can't argue with too much of that. Look, the, the, the girls, all the girls in that squad have have done great across the season. Mm. So uh, yeah. And the two Adelaide players, Gibson and and, and yeah, Dana look, coming Dana, in have been obviously. Golden Super. Boot, you know, she's yeah. been so clinical this year. Um, you know, really, really deserves that award as well. And you know, you know, looking at it, I think Ganya O'Gorman thought she was maybe gonna get that golden boot again. I think she's got, got that award most over the course of this uh this league. But yeah, look fair play to, to Dana and Maddie as well. Oh, and you're missing out on the team of the mm. season as well. I know, I know. She's um, not too happy. Interesting. Um, okay, so uh, that is the team of the season. The nominees for the PFA Ireland Women's Young Player of the Year. So there are three players here, as I said, and um, the winner will be revealed at the awards ceremony on Saturday, December 2nd. But the three players are Ellen Dolan of P Mount United, Leah O'Leary of Shamrock Rovers, and Jess Fitzgerald of P Mount United. So they are the three Young Player of the Year nominees. And Ruby, you have the PFA Ireland Women's Player of the Year nominees. I do indeed, and they're all from P Mount United. Saeve Doyle, Karen Duggan, and Erin McLaughlin. And also later this week, the PFA Ireland will announce the nominees for the PFA Ireland Women's Premier Division Referee of the Year, PFA Ireland Women's Premier Division Manager of the Year, and the PFA Ireland Women's International Player of the Year. Well, interesting stuff. Well, one player who did... Uh, feature on the team of the season or who does feature on the team of the season and is nominated for the Women's Player of the Year as Ruby alluded to there is Erin McLaughlin So it is time to chat to Erin McLaughlin who you have just heard is one of the PFA Ireland Women's Player of the Year nominees and Erin is also included in the PFA Ireland Women's Premier Division team of the season that we have just revealed so Erin McLaughlin firstly thank you uh, very much for taking the phone call uh, and congratulations in the team of the season and the nominee for the Player of the Year and a league winner it hasn't been a bad few months for you Thanks very much it hasn't been at all no I'm absolutely delighted to hear that and and of course an international call up as well how like have you been able to kind of sit back and, and reflect on it all not exactly like I think this week I've kind of sat back and thought back to the Piedmont year that we've had so far obviously we're not training at the moment so I was talking to one of the girls recently and we just reflected back on the year that we had and it was what we done was actually incredible like it was the perfect ending to the year getting over the line and becoming league champion so yeah but I still don't think it's fully all settled in yet it's just still going to the end Given the fact that you were crowned league champions and also given the fact that many people wrote P-Mount off at the start of the season did that offend you personally? Um, I wouldn't really say offend no I think obviously a lot of people did write us off and we were seeing it on social media we were reading different articles but in a way it just it worked for us because we went in with this completely new mentality we went in as underdogs into the season and it just worked so well for us we were able to go about our business quietly and just keep working hard I think it was one of the best pre-seasons we've ever had and it showed because in the end of the year we just came out as winners. It was brilliant. So not offended, motivated in a we'll prove motivated, you wrong kind of way? Yeah, more or less. Prove everyone wrong. So it was great. It's always the best motivation, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> just burns in you. You have to do whatever happens. You just have to prove everyone in Octus they are all wrong. It was an incredible season. But you have an awful lot to juggle. You're down from Donegal, third year minute studying primary school teaching work placements the whole lot how do you juggle it all and then throw in some international football while you're at it yeah definitely I think there's a lot to sacrifice I think Donegal's the biggest sacrifice of all doesn't see me a lot my family 
Um, but no, it's definitely worth it. And I know they're supporting me loads up there. And whenever I do get home, I cherish it a bit more. But yeah, in regards to teaching, I really enjoy teaching and it's what I've always wanted to do along with football. So I'm just happy I'm able to do the both and playing at such a high level. It is hard to manage, but I have people around me and I have loads of support. So yeah, You say that, you have loads of support, people around you, but even the logistics. I mean, you're young, working, studying, football, socialising, you have to live too. Does you, do you ever think, geez, I have too much on? <laughs> uh, I think there is a few times, yeah, but it'll all be worth it in the end. So that's what I keep thinking about. Um, just keep going. So you do keep going and you do qualify in Minute. Would where you're playing football determine where you might take a job? Or would the job determine where you play football? I think uh, right, right now my ambition is to go pro after I get my degree. So I would hope to maybe go across to England or anywhere really to get a professional setup. So yeah, probably football. Anything in the offing? Are you going to give us a big reveal here on Game <laughs> 1? Where exactly Aaron <laughs> no, McLaughlin no. is going to go pro? No, no. <laughs> Where, where where would you go? What where would you like to go? If I gave you a blank canvas now and you said you can go to the UK to play football, where would you go? Oh well, I think everyone's dream is to play in the WSL, so it would be one of them clubs. That's just a dream. Have Have you been chatting to some of your international teammates then, the likes of Katie and and a few others, in, in terms of what it's like over there and and picking their brand? Yeah, I suppose like even being in camp with them and everything, you can see the professional setups that they're playing, and they can bring it into camp. And people like me who are in, still playing in Ireland can look up to them. So, yeah. How much has that benefited you? What have you learned from even training with them in, in these international camps, training with these players who are playing overseas? No, I think it's huge. Coming into camp, you kind of, it is a bit nerve-wracking at the start. You go in there, you're nervous. You're coming up with players like Katie McCabe, Denise O'Sullivan, and you think, oh God, you don't know if you're up for it, but... Then once you're in there, like it's the training's so good, and you soon find your feet and you get comfortable playing. You're training every day, and the environment around you it's just it's incredible. So, yeah, it definitely stands to me a lot, and I can bring that. Then when I go back to P Mount, I can bring that into my game as well. Was it difficult settling in and, and clicking into the the international setup for you? No, I wouldn't say difficult. Like as soon as you come in, all the girls are very welcoming, the staff, their class. Everyone just welcomes you in straight away and make you feel at home. So no, it, was, it wasn't too bad coming in. I was obviously nervous, but then you find your feet. Any sleepless nights this week as you await in a squad announcement? None yet. Hopefully, hopefully all goes well. That's a very political answer. You're not not a doubt you'll be you'll be included yeah, you're 20, again. Like I mean, that's, <laughs> we can't get you off the fence at all here, can we? <laughs> <laughs> what what's it been like under Eileen Gleason since since she's come on board for for you personally, Erin? Yeah, so I've had one camp Eileen. I think I was delighted whenever I got a call up to come in, and yeah, the atmosphere she creates around camp is brilliant. I think she's someone everyone can go to, feel comfortable going to if they have any problems. She's been really welcoming to me when I came in. Um, I was obviously in the preparation for the World Cup beforehand, haven't been in since then, so. She was really nice, making sure I was welcomed in and then, of course, giving me my chance to start, which was, just can't really describe that feeling. Is she someone you'd like to see stay on as, as Ireland manager on a permanent basis? Yeah, like, I think Eileen's great in what she does and she can oversee everything. She obviously has a good knowledge of what's happening here in Ireland as well. So she might know what needs to happen to push people, to push the league towards that more professional setup as well. What do you think the, the league needs to do and, and how much has it grown? Like, I know you're kind of a young player, but you're kind of coming into the league when it's at a much higher standard than perhaps some of your teammates who've had to slog it out for, for a while. But it is great to see that it is going from strength to strength. Yeah, this is only my second season in the league, but I think even since last year, you can see there's huge improvements. 
Like there used to be games where teams were beating teams 6-5-0. You don't really see any of that anymore and it's actually brilliant for the league. Even the likes of Trudy United, I think, they're one of our hardest games this season. I remember the game was 2-1 and Trudy used to be, I would say, an easy game. But now there's none of that anymore. No game's an easy game. It's getting harder and harder. Everyone's pushing more. I think it's great to see people staying in the league and I think the more professional the league gets, you might see more players staying maybe not leaving as early as they do. So, yeah. Well, great stuff. Well, listen, hopefully it does continue on that upward trajectory and hopefully your career, no doubt, will continue on that upward trajectory. And uh, who knows, we might see you in an Ireland squad this week. More likely than not. But for now, Aaron McLaughlin, congratulations, as I said, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thanks very much. Thank you. Game on on 2FM. She's going to be in an Ireland squad, Rebecca, isn't she? Nailed on. Has to be, yeah. yeah. She's a great player, you know. Watching her throughout the season, I think it's a case of you know, Karen just set and done that dirty work for P Mount and let Sive dial and Erin just run amok, as they say, um, really tidy on the ball. You know, she's so creative, gets goals as well. And look, she's earned her right to, to get into the Irish squad. A very mature way of doing things, yeah. getting her degree as his teacher and then going chasing a professional dream you'd have to tip your hat at that too 100% they seem to be getting a little bit smarter as, as the, the years go, go on because I know my generation <laughs> are very much get out of school quick and, and you know see what we what we do after that we, we generally you know a, a lot of people I suppose university didn't seem to be on the you know the horizon mm. college football and stuff wasn't as I suppose prominent and you know scholarships weren't available like they are now say throughout the, the country so yeah look fair play to her and, and hopefully she uh, gets to achieve those goals yeah, we've seen a lot of players perhaps in the past going to America for studying exactly. and football as well, but hopefully we can yeah. keep them at home here. Um, there is an under-21 match going on in Turner's Cross at the moment between Ireland and Italy. Here's a man who could do something for Ireland. Sinclair Armstrong. Take on Parola to the end line. Drills it across. Curtis coming on to it. And the driven shot into the back of the net. And Ireland lead. It's Kenny and Phillips. Great finish. Right through Ireland after half an hour. Turner's cross erupts. Ireland won. Italy nil. It's a penalty kick for Italy. Wilfred Nanto scored twice against San Marino in that resounding win on Thursday. And the Leeds United player has the chance here to draw Italy level before half time. In stoppage time at the end of the first half, Josh Keeley on his line. And he produced something here for Ireland to keep it at 1 0. Nanto for Italy. Strokes it in. And it's 1 1 at Turner's cross. And Italy draw level. So has Alan Colley texted you, given who that penalty scorer was for Italy at Ruby? Soft penalty. Tucked it away. Nanto. Quote unquote, Alan Colley. Nanto. <laughs> Best mates. Nanto. Oh, 1 1. Uh, at half time uh, but we are continuing our discussion on women's football because FEI Cup winner Chloe Singleton joins us now of Athlone Town Chloe I believe if I'm reliably informed the celebrations are ongoing oh they're they're still going don't worry there's um, probably a week of it left in us I don't know how we're still going but we've ended up in Galway somehow so somehow we're still kicking well I do appreciate you, you taking the call Call away on a Tuesday Thank you. night. Thanks for having me as well. That won't be an early exit, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> it probably won't be an early night, but we'll see how long we can last. There's, a, there's a, only a few left standing, so we'll see how we get on. I say shells are wishing he didn't last as long on Sunday now, so whoever long he lasts tonight will be grand. <laughs> have you had time to reflect on it, on it all, Chloe, the achievement that you and the club have achieved? Do you know what? I think there's moments throughout every night where we kind of look at each other and we're like, what have we actually done? 
I don't think it's fully sunk in with anyone really yet. I think it'll probably be a moment of personal reflection on everyone where they're we're kind of at home alone and then reflecting on each uh, on our own individual performances and and when we're kind of looking back that way. But uh, do you know what? Throughout every night, we just kind of stop and we look at each other and we're like we've actually achieved so much in terms of like the league, in terms of the club. I think in terms of the club itself, it's just such a huge achievement. The, the tweets that are going around, it's been 99 years since the men have have carried the trophy home. So it's just, it's massive for us. And when we, we took the celebrations home and every pub that welcomed us, Jesus, I, I couldn't believe it. And the town bridge was just packed with people. It, the town was blue for, it still is blue. And I just, I can't believe the support we had back home. It's It's been incredible. Absolutely. Does it inspire you? I know you, you, you're, you're talking about the league, but when you win a cup like that and you get a homecoming like that, how inspiring is it? It's huge. You know, it's, especially being from Atlone, I think it's it's been really like, for myself personally and for Kayleigh Shine, we kind of, as soon as the final whistle blew, we kind of looked at each other like it feels so different to be actually, you know, from the town and lifting this cup and bringing it, bringing it home, you know. Um, and in saying that, all the girls, like even the Americans, were looking at each other, this is their second home to them. And it's just, it's inspiring for next year and to bring it into hopefully next season we can perform the way we did at the end of this season like it was kind of the only the latter half of this season where we really turned our performances into winning games and I just hope we can carry into next season it wasn't just a one hit wonder but I don't think it was because with how Atlone did last year coming second in the league obviously and then runners up in the cup again I think I hopefully it will t- take it into next season and inspire everyone else for next season. We've Rebecca Cray in studio as well, who um, I believe you're you're good friends with as well. On the, on the opposite opposite side of the, are you still friends, Rebecca? Not today. No, not today. We used to be. <laughs> Chloe, you must have cracked them poker heads. We're not talking, Chloe. <laughs> These were two euro in John stores. We got a bargain. Tell you, I've seen them somewhere before. It, it, I, I don't know what you're alluding to Seven here. To Imitation's the greatest form of flattery. That's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, Talk to me then, I suppose, about the, the bigger picture of, of like what Kieran Kulduff has brought to Atlone and everything kind of coming and clicking in at the perfect time now. Like his influence since Tommy uh, stepped away has is, is been immense because I know how much Tommy has, has done for Atlone Town. Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a blow when Tommy decided to step away. I think no one really knew how to take it. I think a lot of the girls hadn't experienced that before where a manager stepped away where I've got plenty of experience with that unfortunately when I was with Galway we had Billy Cleary stepping away and we had a few managers who stepped away with my time at Galway but for me I think it was more so I, I wasn't too not that I wasn't too shocked but I knew how to deal with it obviously when Kieran came in it was like a breath of fresh, fresh air for us all it was it was a new beginning it was like a fresh start he came in at a good time he came in just before the break he brought new signings in. Um, he he did everything right, you know. He came in just before the break. He had the week with us, and then we had four weeks off to kind of reflect and and decide what we wanted to do with the rest of our season. I think that was a good thing because he kind of the message he left with us before he left before the mid-season break. He said, "Look, reflect on the first half of the season, and we'll come back and we'll regroup afterwards." And what he's done has been amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, the club and the coaches who have had the town before have done amazing to get us where we are today and Kieran just kind of picked up where we left off in I'd say the year before he kind of picked up the pieces there and in terms of performances wise he just got the best out of everyone he kind of had one-to-one with everyone he took the time to get to know everyone individually he sat down with us all and he spoke to us on a one-to-one basis and really he gets the best out of players like you know like even 
players coming on last or on Sunday night coming on it's it's difficult not to start a cup game and you have to take it on the chin in the day and for Gillian to come on with the way she did there was only a couple of minutes left on the clock and for her to score that goal the way she did I think it just really reflects on how Kieran and Ken are as coaches and how they've been with us and how they respect every player as as a unit Gillian was a hero on Sunday afternoon you were all heroes in that loan on Sunday night do you think the FAI can capitalise on the momentum that the league has gained, the FA Cup, the FAI Cup final has gained, even your home coming in at Lawn? Do you think they can turn this into monetary investments? I hope so. Like I don't know if it will, but as a player, you you're always hopeful and you're always hoping. You know, people are looking at this, being like, Do you know what, this is incredible. Like. When you look at when you compare us to the men's cup final, obviously there was forty odd thousand at the men's. There's under under four thousand at our game, but the hype that came from from our game is incredible, and everyone seems to be talking about it. I know you're not in the you, we're not in the men's section, so we're not as kind of in the spotlight in that in that regard. But in the sense of the women's game, you'd hope that the the FEI can kind of you know come together and say, look, there's something special here in in Ireland. There's grassroots. I've, I said it on Sunday, the amount of young kids that played on both sides, you know, the amount of young kids that played for Shells. We had Isabel Ryan, who's, I think, 17, maybe 16, who came on for us. The grassroots we have here in Ireland is incredible. And if the FAI just realised this and pumped the, the funding into the into women's football, I think it would be something incredible. And, you know, you look at players and they're... They're coming through the ranks here in Ireland, but then they're being shipped off to the UK or shipped off to somewhere in Europe, and you're like, "Why can't we keep them here?" It's, and it's 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 down to funding, and it's it's terrible to say, but it's down to the way we kind of have the women set up here in Ireland, and you just hope that you know maybe they'll look and turn around and say, "Right, we'll we'll give this a go, we'll fund," and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I I really truly think it would. Okay, well. Um, strong words Chloe and, and very 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 valid points made listen enjoy the celebrations we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat Chloe Singleton FEI Cup winner um, Rebecca just final word to yourself obviously on the opposite end of the, the spectrum for every winner there has to be a loser mm-hmm. it was obviously tough for, for Shelburne a bit of an end of an error with Noel King stepping away as well uh, now but no doubt you echo uh, Chloe's sentiments in terms of funding and also uh, Shells will, will no doubt be regrouping yeah, most definitely. Look, I think it's an ongoing conversation that's been had for, you know, the, since I, I, I can remember, you know, since I'm involved in the game, it's, you know, we need more investment, we need more funding, we need more this. And it's a constant battle, you know, and I, I think there's been a bit of a revelation, I suppose, over the course of this year with the whole, you know, we keep going back to the senior squad, the Irish team, you know, putting their, their stamp on the world and, and the World Cup. And look, there needs to be momentum following that. You know, mm. like last year, I think there was more, um, in attendance at at our game, um, you know, against Atlone in that final, that t- compared to this year, I don't know if that's just be you know going off the back of how well the women's team done in October last year, you know, mm. and then following in. But look, there needs to be constant, constant push on on that. You know, I know there's a a lot of kind of momentum this week just gone only of of trying to get the tickets sold and stuff. That needs to be just a, a constant. That needs to be happening. You know, early early doors. But look, yeah, in terms of shells, it's a case of just going back to the drawing board now. You know, it's been a stop start season. Everyone's tired, I'm sure. You know, bodies are aching, battered and bruised. So yeah, look, these these kind of losses. You know, it's it's just a you know wake up call sometimes. You know, we've had a, a great three years. You know, been successful in the previous two second this year finalists you know in the cup mm. um, it's just going to be I suppose a, 
a new a new uh, start now come come Christmas time and and you know get the girls back out and and into pre-season and, and we'll see how we go but yeah look as I said I've said it to the girls even the other day look this is just a reset mode now you know you need a loss sometimes to to remember what it feels like you know and and, and remember that feeling you don't want to have it again going into to next season so look look we'll uh, we'll have the nice break now and see see where it takes us after after Christmas we'll enjoy the break Rebecca Craig thank you very much uh, for popping in we are going to continue our football chat with Mark Langdon in two minutes time Game On on 2FM Welcome back to Game On, where tonight is the 10th and final match in the Euro 2024 qualifiers. And I suppose Mark Langdon, who has joined us, Mark Langdon of the Racing Post, the one interesting game tonight, Mark, is probably the Welsh game, is it? It is, yeah. Um, you know, Wales absolutely need to win um, against Turkey, who've already qualified um, Ruby. So, you know, from that point of view, you know, I think Rob Page and the Welsh team will be expecting to win. Unfortunately for them, um, it's out of their hands because um, Croatia hosts Armenia and if they win, um, Wales can only finish in third spot, which is set to be um, a playoff um, for them. Probably blew it, um, the Welsh on Saturday against Armenia. It was in their own hands. They just had to win their final two matches, could only draw 1-1 away to Armenia. It was a, a chaotic game, that one. Both teams needed to win and they were both piling forward. Unfortunately, neither was good enough to take advantage of all of the open spaces. So um, I think Wales have given this a, a really good go. It was a tough group in with Croatia and Turkey, but they'll be kicking themselves that, you know, it was in their hands at the weekend and now it's not. And, you know, that, that's never where you want to be, where you're relying on results from elsewhere to give you a chance of automatic qualification. So I think it probably is going to be um, the playoffs for, for, for Wales. Um, OK, elsewhere tonight, Netherlands hosts Gibraltar and France travel to Greece and Ireland's group, but not much really at stake there. Uh, last night, Mark, uh, Italy scraped through with a nil-all draw against Ukraine. Uh, just about, they, they could have conceded a penalty late on. They could have. Um, Modric, the um, Chelsea player, went down in 92nd, 93rd minute after a, a, a foul, I think it's fair to say, from Cristante. The, um, Not officially, it was but... A foul. Um, no, no, unofficially it was a foul. I, I, I think that had um, had the had the referee given it on the pitch, I don't think VAR would have overturned um, the, 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 the kind of decision. So um, it was a real close one. Obviously, Ukraine would have still had to score the penalty, but... Um, you know, assuming that they probably would have done, um, you know, Italy could have found themselves in another mess having missed, um, you know, a couple of World Cups. I think the tournament will be all the better for having the holders um, and the team as good as Italy there, but they don't half make it hard for themselves. Time after time, um, they, they just make a mess of this qualifying campaign and nearly so um, again. But I think over the course of the whole group, they probably just about deserve second spot ahead of Ukraine. But absolutely right, Shane. You know, on another night, that penalty um, sort of um, debate gets given and, you know, maybe they're heading to the playoffs, which it, it just sends... Um, Italian fans sort of that their nerves are shredded by playoffs. They've had so many bad results in them, so you wouldn't have backed them to have come through um, any playoffs. So it's just as well, really, that they, they they managed to get the job done. Well, there is one match ongoing: Ireland under twenty ones against Italy in Turner's Cross, and there has been a third goal. So a mistake by Matteo Zanotti gives Sean Graham another opportunity to uh, hurl one in. Well defended by Coppola on this occasion. Ireland sending it back in. Oh! It's that man, Sinclair Armstrong, who pounces to score. 
and Ernie in the second half. Ireland go back in front. 2-1 Ireland. So 2-1 Ireland, 50 minutes played in that one. Mark, when you look at the, the qualifying groups for Euro 2024, there's some big teams who haven't automatically gone through. Norway, Greece, Ukraine, Wales, Poland, Sweden. What were the surprises for you? Um, well, I think definitely, um, you know, Norway being... Um, it wasn't the easiest group because Scotland are improving and Spain are a good side. So, um, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't a foregone conclusion that they would have qualified, but they were a long way short, Norway. And when you've got Odegaard in your team and you've got Erling Haaland, um, that should really be enough um, to, to, I think, get you closer to qualification. And they, they kind of risk, I think, wasting the talents of, you know, a generational player, in, in certainly in terms of Erling Haaland. You know, if you've got somebody like that, I mean, you, Wales reached the semi-final when they had... Gareth Bale, you know, you can build a team around one player. So for them to have missed a, missed out by so much and not even been good enough in terms of the Nations League to have been able to uh, have got a playoff spot, I think it's a, a big disappointment. Poland would be another one. Um, you know, um, they, of course, have got their own sort of superstar striker in, uh, Robert Lewandowski. I think a lot of Poland's problems came earlier on um, in, in qualification when uh, Fernando Santos was was the coach. He's since been sacked. Santos um, won the Euros with um, Portugal um, was that back in 2016 now, but a very defensive-minded coach. I, I've never understood how he lasted in the Portugal job as long as he did. I think that their success owed more to the players than, than they did the manager. He went to um, the Polish national team, tried to do kind of exactly the same thing. Um, it, it didn't work out for him. They're in the playoffs. They're almost certainly going to be in the same area as Wales in, in the playoffs. And I think it's probably likely that Wales, if they want to qualify for the Euros, probably going to have to beat uh, Robert Lewandowski's Poland they'll be hoping that that Poland side that turns up is sort of more like the one that started the campaign than if you actually have a look at the, the, the list of players that there is potential there for them to be better than um, kind of they've shown so could be a dangerous game um, for Wales but certainly Poland w- will have been expecting more than that and you know that, that that group became such a mess that at one stage Moldova were in with a chance of automatic qualification which would have been um you know probably the the, the biggest upset i think in um sort of european championship history had they sort of qualified and that owed much down to poland's lack of um wins earlier on in the campaign most certainly obviously france had the chance tonight to make it eight from eight in group b but when you look to the very bottom group j portugal 10 games 10 wins that takes a bit of do yeah um a very good side, um, Portugal. Um, you know, they've got a lot of talented players. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo still up front, still scoring goals, still debated as to whether he should be, um, you know, leading the line for Portugal now because they have got this new generation of kind of players. You've got Rafael Leal, who plays for AC Milan, Gonzalo Ramos, who's a Paris Saint-Germain, but they still rely on Cristiano Ronaldo. You've got somebody like Bernardo Silva, um, you know, a quality player, for Manchester City, Bruno Fernandes in that midfield, Jao Felix, who plays for Barcelona. Um, you know, there are players all over the pitch for Portugal. Jao Cancelo, of course, who had such a good time of it previously. Ruben Dias, um, another one at Manchester City. This is a, a you know, a big, a, a, you know, a team full of talented players that could easily go well at the, at the European Championship. They'll be absolutely gutted by what happened at the World Cup. 
last year. You know, they were looking really good. They had Morocco in the quarterfinals and went out in very surprising circumstances in, in that game. But the fact that, you know, they, they World Cup quarterfinalists weren't that far from being a semi-final team. I don't think they're kind of the best side in Europe. I, I think that, that France have got that tag and, you know, England, or despite their result against Macedonia, will be pushing for that just down to the sheer volume of players that they've got. But outside of those two, I think you'd struggle to find anybody better than Portugal. Um, I just think that they rely sort of too much on Cristiano Ronaldo. His presence um, means that he has to play and I'm not sure he deserves to play in, in a team that talented um, and that might be their undoing as they go on to the latter stages um, in Germany next summer. Final one for you, Mark. Uh, further afield, Palestine played their first match since uh, the conflict in their territory uh, began against Australia and also tonight uh, an out-of-form Brazil host reigning uh, world champions Argentina. Yeah, so um, Palestine had to play their game uh, in Q8 for um, understandable reasons. They lost 1-0 to Australia. Um, Harry Souter um, scored the only goal, the, the English-based um, player. Um, I've, it's also worth noting that the um, Australian players have donated a sort of hefty sum um, to um, the, the, the kind of effort, the humanitarian effort that's ongoing um, in Gaza. So um, they didn't have to do that, um, and, but, but, but they did. In terms of Brazil um, playing Argentina, always a great game. Um, although, in, but in truth, neither team's in fantastic form. Um, Argentina, the world champions, lost to Uruguay at the weekend and Brazil have been in, um, you know, had a few ropey results. They've got a lot of injuries at the moment, Brazil. Vinicius, the latest player there too, um, he's out for like 10 weeks. Richarlison, I know he doesn't sort of have much of an impact in the Premier League for Tottenham, but has been a very influential player for Brazil. He's out injured um, as well at the moment. So not playing with the, the kind of, um, I suppose that the class that you'd expect from Brazil, but the simple fact is both of these teams are going to qualify for the World Cup in 2026. So it's really there's not enough right, there's not enough jeopardy um, on these games. So I think to to really um, I, I suppose stir up the players and make them play at their top level, they're kind of almost going through the motions a little bit because of how many teams in South America qualify now for the finals because of course in 2026 we've got this extended um, World Cup of is it 48 teams feels like there's going to be 108 teams in it before too long and it's almost difficult to not qualify now unfortunately it used to be the best qualifying campaign of the lot the South American one but now we just kind of know that they're all going to qualify or certainly all the big countries are Great stuff, Mark Langdon of the Racing Post. Thank you very much. We have team news uh, coming from the Aviva Stadium. We'll be crossing live to John Kenny, Pat Fenn and Keith Tracy. So stick with us here on Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Welcome back to Game One, where we do indeed have team news from the Aviva Stadium. Standing by waiting there for us is John Kenny. John, any chance Liverpool's Keevan Kelleher could be in goal? Yeah, he's, he's made wholesale changes. Uh, Bazuna's uh, uh, on the bench. Kevin Keller comes in for his 11th cap tonight. He's made wholesale changes. We were discussing what the kind of format he's going to put out there. So it looks like it's going to be Matt Doherty, uh, Shane Duffy, who comes in for his 60th cap tonight and will captain the side. Uh, Omobamadile, Andrew Omobamadile, the Lickslick born uh, centre half, will play in centre half. We think of James McLean, his final game for the Republic of Ireland, probably on the left. Jason Malumbi in front of those four. Then out on the uh, right hand side, Mark Sykes of Bristol City, 
Mikey Johnson on the far side of Celtic, and then uh, Knight and McGrath, uh, Jason Knight and Jamie McGrath in the centre, and Adam Eda uh, up front. So uh, there's only two survived from the game against the Netherlands the other night. Matt Doherty, uh, who didn't have a great game, it has to be said, but he's been given another chance tonight, uh, and Jason Knight, they're the only two that actually... Um, are in tonight from the game against the Netherlands in Amsterdam. But there's all talk tonight, obviously, about James McLean, represented his country with distinction since making his senior debut as a sub in a 1-1 draw in the Czech Republic in February 2012. Veteran of Euro 2012, 2016, 34-year-old plays a winger, frontman and wing-back under Trapattoni, O'Neill, Mick McCarthy and now Stephen Kenny. So he should get a, a very good send-off tonight. But that's the uh, starting eleven for the Republic of Ireland. Alongside John Kenny is Keith Tracy and Pat Fennan, who will uh, be on co-commentary duty live on Radio 1 Extra. Um, Jens, Keith Tracy, if I come to you first, what's your reaction to that team? I suppose expected changes? Yeah, expected changes. Um, the, the level that New Zealand are at is not, it's not the highest level in the world. It's not the, the best opposition. So we have made a couple of changes. I think uh, me and Pat are just discussing where we think the, the midfield three of Malumbi, Knight and McGrath will set up. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Malumbi and Noy Holden. It could be Malumbi holding by himself and McGrath and Noy playing ahead of him. But excited to see the likes of Mikey Johnson done really well when he's come on and played for Ireland. Very direct winger, gets you on the edge of your seat. And Adam Eda getting a chance as well. We all know Evan Ferguson is going to be the mainstay of that, that Irish attack for the next couple of years. So there's a chance there for a couple of lads to st- stake their claim. Pat, what will we learn from this match, if anything? <laughs> I'm not sure we're learning too much tonight to be honest I think you know we should be very mindful as well there's a lot of talk around Stephen but we should be very, very mindful as well of James McLean and the contribution he's made to Irish football you know his last appearance for a, for his country he's been a brilliant servant so I think obviously a lot of the talk and the talk processes around you know is the manager going to be here is the manager going to be gone looks like it's probably going to be his last game will we learn a lot from tonight I don't think so we've seen most of these uh, players play already so there's nothing you know, outstanding or new in there that we haven't. Sice is probably one we haven't seen a lot of. Uh, again, like it's with Keith, it's how that, you know, midfield three shapes up. Adam Eade, I thought, was a little bit unfortunate that he didn't start the game in, in Holland. I thought he was really good in Dublin. And it gives us a different dimension. It allows us to play in behind the defenders and red, instead of everything really being in front. So, will we learn that tonight? I'm not too sure. Pat? I don't really want to stick the boot anymore on Stephen Kenny than anybody else, but it does look he's, like he's on the way out. Who do you think is going to come in? Or who would you like to see coming in? I don't know, Ruby. And, and that's the question. And, you know, this happens with a lot of, you know, when you get to the, to the time of making decisions on managers and, you know, whether you move them on or keep them. And, you know, if you move a manager on, you have to you have to have a plan that you've got a better one in place to come in and replace Stephen. Um, for me, I think it needs someone with experience. I don't think... You know, I think we need someone that has experience, whether that's experience at club level or international level, but I think it's someone where we are at the moment that needs experience in the game. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk of, you know, potential ex-players maybe getting the game, getting a job in their first job. But I'd be, I'm saying I'd be disappointed, but I think where we are at the moment, I think someone with a bit of experience coming in to manage this group of players and put a shape and a setup on them that can win football matches. Keith, obviously James McLean is moving on and this is a much younger squad that Stephen Kenny has left behind and probably the one he took over. So, to echo Pat's point of view, do we need someone with experience to nurture this team? 
Oh, definitely, Ruby. Yeah, I think it's a must. I think we we need experience. I think international football experience counts for an awful lot. The more caps you have on the pitch, the better. There is obviously, you know, an exception to that rule when the likes of an Evan Ferguson pops along. He's a he's a once in a generation talent. You throw him in the deep end, but. The problem for us is we're throwing everybody in the deep end, people that aren't ready for international football. And it's just a sign of, of where the team is at. And look, at it, we are moving on, but I think the, the main thing for the next manager is we need a pragmatic manager. We need somebody who's going to cut their cloth accordingly and not just say, we're going to play football, and that's the be-all and end-all of it. There's different ways to win games of football, Ruby. And for me, we're already out of the Dutch game last week. We're already out of, out of, out of the group. We scored nine goals in the group. Seven of those came against Gibraltar. One was a set piece and the other was a penalty. So for me, we have to cut our cloth accordingly, start playing a bit more pragmatic football, beat people at home, make this a fortress and see what we can pick up on the road and we can be competitive in groups. I'm not saying we're going to go and win the Euros, but we can be competitive and we can put building blocks in place. I think Stephen Kelly did come in when there were systematic <coughs> failures in the FBI from the top down. So Keith, realistically... Do you think anyone could come in and change the fact that Ireland are now international minnows? I don't think... That they're not going to change it overnight, Shane, but what I think they can do is they, they can slowly start to change the style of play. Now, we haven't got a, a competitive friendly now, until, or a competitive game, sorry, until next September in the Nations League. We'll have a couple of friendlies between that, so we can get a new manager in, he can start putting his style on it, he can start playing, it, in my view, a little bit more pragmatic play behind teams, you know, messing around with the ball at the back. I think the next manager that comes in needs to start just turning the team around. It won't happen overnight. But what we have is, I think with the with the group of lads we have in the present, they can win games of football, but it's not going toe-to-toe against the likes of your France and your Holland. And we, we went toe-to-toe against Greece as well. Over two games, they outplayed us twice. So for me, we've tried to play the football. We've tried to play the sexy way of football. It's not what we are... What, our, one of our biggest weapons as, as an Irish team is a heart it's in our DNA and when you play this tactical style of football it takes the heart away from us Pat I'm kind of agreeing with Keith here obviously football is not my first sport but I am a results based man do we yeah. need to go back to results based soccer no, you have to. At this level, that's all it's about, Ruby. And people can talk all they want about development and players and playing the game a certain way. At the end of the day, it's about winning football matches. If you're a development coach, you're a development coach. If you're a first-team manager at international level, it's about winning matches. And we've got to find a way. You look at some of the nations, you know, even look at Scotland maybe, who we, we turned over here a few years ago, and I look at what they have now and how they play. They, they've, I, I, I think they've got better players than us at the moment. There's no doubt about that. They've got you know, four or five real quality players, but they have a way of playing that suits the players. I think we're trying to force a system and a style of playing players that they're not comfortable with, you know, and I think that's where I'm saying where we need experience. When you're coming in to, to, to watch the Ireland, you want to see us win. Yeah, we all want to be entertained, but, you know, at the end of the day, you want to win. We want to be going to European Championship, to World Cups. You know, that's what we want to be, and we're a long way off that at the moment. So, you know, people sitting down to bring in a manager, that has to be in the mindset to say, we need someone in who's going to make us competitive, going to keep us in group, and potentially qualify us for a tournament. I presume that's the remit for all the international managers, senior international managers. OK, for now, Pat Fenn and Keith Tracy, thank you both very much. They will be joining John Kenny, RT Radio 1 Extra for live commentary of Ireland, New Zealand. It is still 2-1 in Turners Cross, uh, the under-21s uh, leading Italy, 67 minutes on the clock. That is where we leave you. Uh, big thanks to Laura Lee and Andrew O'Connor for working on today's show. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned to 2FM because the brilliant bed of the Silva is up next. For myself, Ruby and all the Game On team, it is bye for now.